Hello everyone and welcome back to the Van Maren Show. My name is Jonathan Van Maren and today I want to examine a, a specific aspect of the transgender agenda and of the transgender movement that I think usually gets ignored in not only mainstream discourse about the issue, which is mainly packed with deceit and faux science and ideology, but also I think on the right wing, the conservative end of the spectrum, and even those on the gender critical side of this debate, very often I think miss some important things about the transgender agenda that we need to speak about clearly. Because of course, as I've covered so many times on this podcast in the past, we are we are being gaslit. We are being told uh, by the elites, by the establishment, that we are supposed to believe their words and not our lying eyes. We are told that we are supposed to believe that men can become pregnant, that women can have penises, that men can become women and vice versa simply by claiming to be so. We are told that we are obliged uh, to believe all of these things despite the fact uh, that we have had to warp the English language beyond recognition to do so. And let me cite uh, one example that will serve as a bridge into the subject I want to cover today, and that's a recent example of a court case at the UK's High Court. Now, the UK court system has been kind of hit and miss on the issue of transgenderism. Some of you may remember the very high-profile case of Kira Bell, a detransitioner who actually uh, took the medical establishment to court and claimed that she had been transitioned and given a double mastectomy before she was old enough to understand what she was doing and that she had been struggling, obviously, with mental illness at the same time. And... This is, uh, in that case, the high court ruled in her favor, but the, currently the high court, uh, just this week actually, um, sent down an incredibly appalling ruling that highlights both the cruelty of gender ideology as well as the ways in which the English language has been so mangled that it's difficult to actually have a conversation about this subject without constantly defining what you mean by your terms, because new words have been invented and words that used to mean one thing now mean another thing entirely. And so in this particular instance, uh, parents had applied for an injunction at the High Court of the UK, and that injunction was to stop their 17-year-old daughter, who is therefore still legally considered a child under UK law, from getting a double mastectomy, from having her breasts surgically removed. And the judge actually denied that injunction, despite the fact that the parents highlighted a family history of mental illness and cited evidence that their daughter had struggled with mental illness. And indeed, even in the language that is used in this case, we see that it's difficult to have a discussion when we're using entirely different sets of terminology. And so this young girl referred to herself not as male or transgender, but as non-binary. Now, non-binary is a pretty recently invented term. Uh, non-binary means you identify outside the gender binary, so you identify as neither male nor female. Well, in order for a sex change surgery to be, quote, gender-affirming, presumably this girl would have to be identifying as a male, which is why she would want to have her breasts surgically removed. I want to pause here for a moment to note that I am fully aware of how insane this discussion sounds. And yet, the judge approved her double mastectomy as she testified that she did not believe her life would even begin uh, without being able to have her breasts removed, despite identifying as non-binary rather than male. All of this terminology is very confusing. I believe that it is deliberately confusing. 
The judge also rejected the parents' claims that their daughter struggled with mental illness, highlighting uh, both a, a family history of mental illness, but also citing various instances of psychotic episodes. And what they also pointed out was that she had been engaging in self-harm. And by self-harm, they meant she had been getting multiple body piercings. But additionally, they highlighted the fact uh, that she had been wearing a breast binder. Now, a breast binder, for those of you fortunate enough to never have heard of this thing, is a, again, very recently invented transgender, uh, how's, what is the best way to put it? It's a, it's a, it's one of these, um, accessories, transgender accessories that was invented for the purpose of allowing girls who identify as boys to present as male. So they would wrap it tightly around the chest region, flatten the breast, and therefore try to appear male. And these, uh, binders are by any definition, self-harm because we know for a fact now that the breasts often never recover from this that they often uh, end up being severely damaged and end up looking and in the words of Abigail Schreier the author of Irreversible Damage like deflated balloons and so these parents were highlighting the self-harm that in their mind actually pointed towards the existence of a mental illness or mental struggles and the judge rejected the idea that these binders and that her actions were self-harm. Why? Uh, because if you are self-harming in the name of affirming your gender, even if you don't identify in the gender spectrum at all, somehow all this works out to the parents being wrong and their minor daughter being permitted to permanently harm herself by having healthy breasts surgically removed despite the fact that there is nothing wrong with them. And so there are two aspects of this that I think are important. The first, as I mentioned, is the ways in which the English language has been utterly twisted to the point where the parents cannot even articulate their uh, their experience and their view without the judge throwing their views out as transphobic because you can't call deliberate harm to yourself self-harm anymore if that harm is in service of transitioning from one gender to another. But secondarily, what I wanted to point out here is something that I don't think gets commented on often enough, which is the manifest cruelty, the cruelty of the transgender movement. And I wrote an article on this some time back because a, a post on X, formerly Twitter, on November 5 from the Harry Potter J.K. Rowling uh, caught my eye. And she was commenting on the decision of an Australian court to mandate that the, uh, air quotes, preferred pronouns of people identifying as transgender be used as, quote, a matter of respect to ensure public confidence in the proper administration of justice. Now, again, notice that this language sounds very soothing. It sounds very reasonable. It sounds like compassion is being put for, uh, front and center. But as J.K. Rowling noted, asking a woman to refer to her male rapist or violent assaulter as she in court is a form of state-sanctioned abuse. Female victims of male violence are further traumatized by being forced to lie, end quote. And indeed, I don't know how anybody can argue with that because forcing a woman to refer to the man who abused and raped her as she seems to me to be a particularly grotesque form of gaslighting. But as I previously mentioned, virtually everything about transgender ideology is gaslighting. And her comment really gets to the heart of something that needs to be looked at more closely, which is the cruelty of the transgender movement. And there are so many different aspects of this issue that can be discussed. And I've discussed many aspects of this issue on this show. I've interviewed people like Abigail Schreier, the author 
author of Irreversible Damage. And there's different aspects we can look at, but I'm not referring here to the mobs of trans-identified men that very often threaten violence to women who dare speak out. J.K. Rowling regularly faces horrifying threats of death, violence, rape, torture, or, as in the case of Posey Parker's visit to New Zealand earlier this year, actually perpetrate violence. Some of you may have seen the footage on Twitter. I wrote a column about this also uh, for LifeSite News. Uh, her, she got mobbed while she was attempting to speak on behalf of women at an event she'd been invited to by a group in New Zealand by furious men in dresses who wanted to actually hurt her. And at several points, she genuinely feared for her life. And if she had not been pulled out of that crowd, first by her security team and then by the cops, she very likely could have been killed by these trans activists. And this is, I think, partially the fault of, of, of New Zealand cabinet ministers who, when she arrived, said they wished she hadn't. I'm not even talking about that when I'm referring to the cruelty of the transgender movement. I mean the cruelty of the practices and policies imposed by those in power on women and girls in the name of the transgender movement, which has virtually swept every Western country in less than 10 years. And there are many manifestations of this cultural shift. I've been writing, as I mentioned, about many of them, but many manifestations of this shift have a sort of sinister totalitarian air about them. Uh, consider, for example, Dylan Mulvaney, who is a gay man who now identifies as a woman, and he's been winning female awards all over the place. Uh, most recently was Virgin Atlantic's Woman of the Year, and there was footage of him on Twitter and Facebook of him being applauded wildly by men and women as he's being given this female award, and there was something so strange in watching these scenes because there was a, a sort of frantic atmosphere and there was definitely people on their feet who were applauding wildly, who didn't buy any of it, who certainly didn't believe that Dylan Mulvaney was actually a woman, uh, not to mention woman of the year. And watching them applaud like this and the tension in some of the applause reminded me of the crowds forced to give minutes-long standing ovations to dictators just in case they were recognized as dissidents because there is an air of threat to all of this. Because the cultural overlords are watching, and you better think that Dylan Mulvaney winning a female award is fair and good and a bold step forward for trans women if you know what's good for you. And he's not a one-off example either. I think Caitlyn Jenner, uh, Bruce Caitlyn Jenner, was probably the first male to win a female award. But as of March, nine men have won Women of the Year awards. So this is not just men being recognized by society as women. They're being recognized as the very best women. They're being recognized as women among women, a head and shoulders above the others winning these awards, including, by the way, beauty pageants. And there's been a couple of beauty pageants where men who are obviously men and obviously not attractive and look nothing like the other women in the contest being awarded uh, these awards as the most beautiful women. And the most grotesque example of this, I think, are these high school males, high school males who have been winning prizes like homecoming queen at high schools. This has already happened a couple of times in the United States. And these prizes were, you know, whatever, they're sort of objectifying. And I don't really care for um, much of this prize giving when it comes to physical attraction anyways. But these prizes were once reserved for, you know, pretty fresh faced girls. But now were treated to these photographs of pretty girls clustered around some jut-jawed, gangly young dude in long hair and a dress, 
And the whole thing didn't just strike me as laughable or ridiculous. It really struck me as, as, as somehow sadistic because the girls that are smiling around this, you know, gangly, long-armed guy, they must smile. They must affirm that this young man, who is, again, so obviously a man, is a pretty girl, prettier than they are, the prettiest of all of the girls in the high school. And again, why are, why are we seeing these photographs? We're seeing these photographs because they're showing up in the newspapers, and most of the newspapers are fully supportive of this. Most of them are saying that this is a good thing. And so why are the girls smiling in these photographs? Because the press and the LGBT movement and the idiots who chose this guy are, of course, wild with celebration. And there's, again, more than a little warning in the celebration, right? What are these girls being told? Say he's beautiful. Say it like you mean it. And if we don't, you'll be the national news story. Because we see that's true. Whenever a high school girl comes out and protests this, whenever a female athlete comes out and protests this, what happens? Those girls become one of the primary stories. Because a guy only gets to be homecoming queen after the girls have been forced to share their changing rooms and bathrooms with young men identifying as women all year. And I've written many, many stories about this, but the story is almost completely untouched by the mainstream press. There are examples now of girls who are risking urinary tract infections rather than use the bathroom with boys. There are girls who are pleading with adults to keep the boys out of their changing rooms, but even their tears at school board meetings do nothing to shake the ideologues in charge. And in fact, girls are often punished for speaking out about this. If they refuse to share their space with males, they can be disciplined. And in Vermont last year, in 2022, high school girls were actually banned from their own changing rooms after objecting to the presence of trans-identified males who are making inappropriate comments. I kid you not. Girls were banned from their own changing room because a biological male identifying as female was in their changing room making comments. And in fact, girls possessing the natural modesty to want to shield their bodies from the male gaze, as we once encouraged as a culture, were bluntly told by a judge in Illinois that they have, quote, no right to visual bodily privacy. Let's spell that out. What does no right to visual bodily privacy mean? It means you have no right to be, not be seen naked or in various states of undress by men. Why? Because those men are women. I could give you a lot more pretty stomach-churning details about some of these instances, but the reality is, is that a lot of girls are terrified to use their own change rooms, to use their own locker rooms, to use their own bathrooms. And how stupid are these adults? What kind of idiot doesn't understand why a girl wouldn't even want to be in a stall next to a young man? It is incredibly difficult to be a teenager and go through puberty anyways. Now add in this factor, why would they have sex-segregated bathrooms to begin with? It used to be the, 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 the punchline of raunchy garbage comedies in the 1990s where you'd have you know some young man pretending to be a girl to get into the girl's change room or to be a peeping Tom. Nowadays, the ideological adults in charge are actually facilitating this and punishing any girl who does not want to be seen by a male. Why? Because that girl's supposed to shut up and affirm her sister even if her sister has a penis. This is unbelievably ridiculous, but more than that, more than that, it's not only ridiculous, but it's cruel. 
As one 13-year-old girl in the United Kingdom who was suing for her right not to be seen undressed by males. Think about that. A 13-year-old girl suing for her right not to be seen undressed by males, plaintively put it, it makes me feel sad, powerless, and confused. Now, whose side do you think the authorities are taking? That is bad enough, and that really is horrifying, and I assume that any parent listening to this will get their blood boiling even considering the implications of this, or even considering the fact that their daughters might be forced into change rooms and locker rooms with teenage boys. But now, men are regularly being sent to women's prisons, where female inmates, who are one of the most vulnerable female populations, find themselves locked behind bars with violent male criminals. And this is happening across the Western world. It's happening in Scotland. It's happening in the United Kingdom. It's happening in Canada. It's happening in the United States. And any sane person who is reasonable, logical, not completely captured by the ideological hive mind would know what happens next, would be certain of what would happen next. Except, of course, for the trans activists who either don't realize this or, more accurately, simply do not care what happens to these female prisoners. A female prisoner in Illinois reported being raped in jail by a man, and the lawyer for this man accused her of transphobia. A rape victim accused her rapist of sexually assaulting her. And this victim was accused of transphobia, which means fear or hatred of transgender people. You've got to be kidding me. Attacks on female prisoners by trans-identified men have become, not shockingly, common. I'll give you a couple of examples. David Thompson, a man convicted of sexual offenses against children and attacking an elderly neighbor, neighbor with a knife, was labeled, quote, highly manipulative by a judge, but switched his name to Karen White, got sent to a female prison, and promptly and very predictably assaulted two women under his new name. In Canada, and I kid you not, a killer who raped a 13-year-old girl and then strangled, stabbed, and smashed her to death with a hammer, switched his identity to female, and got himself sent to a woman's prison. Now, how do you think the authorities address this? Some government officials are smart enough to agree that this is kind of crazy, although nothing seems to happen. In Canada, no policies have been changed. And in the most sinister and insidious reaction, objections to these policies were addressed this way. Here's what The Telegraph reported in 2021. The Telegraph is a, a British publication. Women prisoners who call transgender inmates by the wrong pronoun could face extra time in jail under equality rules, says Justice Minister. Let me repeat that for emphasis. This is the headline in The Telegraph. Women prisoners who call transgender inmates by the wrong pronoun could face extra time in jail under equality rules, says a Justice Minister. In short... Female inmates who are already being locked behind bars with violent sexual criminals who are male and identifying as female so that they can get chucked in a male prison and therefore have access to a lot of extra female prey, those women can in fact face more jail time if they refer accurately, accurately to the men who are being locked up with them. And if they get accused of sexual, if they accuse one of those men of sexually assaulting them, they could be accused of transphobia in return. You couldn't make this stuff up and you wouldn't want to. Yes, in some ways this is ridiculous, but this goes beyond morbid humor. This is, I think, overt and objective cruelty. That takes us to another example 
Rape crisis centers are also being eliminated as safe spaces for women. Now, rape crisis centers or battered women's shelters are places where women who have suffered abuse can go to receive a safe place to stay, a safe bed to sleep in, and hopefully therapy, counseling, the kind of care that they need after suffering the trauma that they've endured. Well, now, because transgender activists care nothing for women, they are insisting insisting that men who identify as women should be permitted access to these places. In October, a woman was allegedly raped in a rape crisis center in Parry Sound, Ontario, Canada, by a perpetrator identifying as transgender. Another example, in August 25, <coughs> pardon me, in August 25-year-old Shane Jacob Green was arrested by the Ontario Provincial Police and charged with two counts of sexual assault while staying at a rape crisis center, where he should not have been in the first place. In April, the Windsor Police Service asked for help after Desiree Anderson, who may also be known as Cody de Tremont, allegedly climbed into the bed of a female victim at a woman's shelter and sexually assaulted her. And I want to emphasize here, I'm not mentioning one-off examples just to highlight the cruelty of the transgender movement. I will quote to you what the transgender movement actually says about such things. None of this matters because Canada's oldest rape crisis center, Vancouver Rape Relief, was stripped of city funding in 2019 for refusing to admit trans-identified males. J.K. Rowling, to go back to her for a moment, has been the target of vicious vitriol for supporting a similar center in Edinburgh. Now, lest you think I'm exaggerating, consider the response of the CEO of the Edinburgh Rape Crisis Center. His name is, it's very difficult to pronounce, Madru Wadwa, and he is a man identifying as a woman. And he was asked about men identifying as women being permitted into these spaces, and he was asked whether or not female-only spaces are legitimate. And here is his response. I'm going to quote directly from him, just so you know that I'm not mischaracterizing his words, because they are that appalling. Sexual violence happens to bigoted people as well. And so, you know, it is not a discerning crime, but these spaces are also for you. But if you bring unacceptable beliefs that are discriminatory in nature, we will begin to work with you on our journey of recovery from trauma. But please also expect to be challenged on your prejudices. These uh, unacceptable beliefs that are discriminatory in nature, by the way, is believing that men are men and that men cannot become women simply by putting on a dress or donning the female identity like a costume. And he is big enough here to admit that bigoted people, transphobic people, are also victims of rape. But when he was asked during a radio interview what his response to victims who might be triggered by the presence of male genitalia due to the fact that they were sexually victimized, Wadwa suggested that women reframe their trauma and rethink their relationship with prejudice. So a woman who has been raped by a man and therefore does not want to be near a man in a rape crisis center where she is going for safety and for help, he suggests, he identifying as a she, he suggests that they reframe their trauma, right, in the light of gender ideology, and rethink their relationship with prejudice. The callousness and the cruelty of this is so overt that it simply must be intentional. This is sending a signal to anybody listening about what trans activists actually think of women. They are committed to the rights of men in dresses. 
not to actual vulnerable women who are locked in prisons, who are forced to use high school change rooms, or are seeking help after being victimized by men and are not even given safe spaces in these instances. And it gets worse. To go back to what I said at the beginning about the English language, the English language is being transformed or transitioned, if you will, and in many cases it's being transformed to essentially erase women from the language because the very terminology associated with femininity is now exclusive to actual women and therefore men who identify as women may feel excluded. The transgender movement is trying to render the term woman meaningless because if anybody can be a woman, then, as Matt Walsh so famously asked, what is a woman? And now language is changing in elite circles, reducing women in many cases to extraordinarily crude terms just so that they don't offend the men who have donned the identity of women like a costume. Let me give you a couple of examples, and these are examples I've written about in the past. There are women now being referred to as bleeders, in order to include, quote, all people who menstruate, which includes trans men and non-binary people. I kid you not, women are being referred to in many circles as bleeders, which, by the way, when I looked that term up, this term was once used to describe hemophiliacs, but it's now used to describe uh, actual women by men identifying as women. And you'll pardon the language here, but the term vagina has been replaced by the term front hole in some guides in order to be, quote, gender inclusive. And by some guides, I mean actually some medical guides. Why would you want to say front hole? To be very, very blunt, because men who are attempting to surgically transition into women cannot actually become women because they are not born with the equipment. And as such, a neo-vagina is created by a surgeon in the front of their body, which is more of a front hole than a vagina. And as such, that is the term that must be used in general. Women don't matter. Femininity doesn't matter. What matters is the men identifying as women. And female-specific terms are being erased entirely in favor of trans-friendly terms, unless you think I'm just cherry-picking from insane LGBT style guides. The U.S. Department of Health and Human Services under the Biden administration suggests using the term pregnant people instead of pregnant women, chest feeding instead of breastfeeding. And so, if you are a woman who does not wish to be described as a bleeder with a front hole, well, you need re-education. That's just the way that it is. Now, there are many potent critiques being leveled at the transgender movement right now by a coalition of the sane. And I've, again, written about many of these subjects. I've had people on the show to discuss these subjects. We talked to Scott Nugent about uh, sex change surgeries and the impact on young people. We've talked to Abigail Schreier about the way this is a peer contagion sweeping the young people. There's the horror of these surgeries and the drugs and the destruction of female sports by trans-identified athletes. And, of course... There's the capture and deformation of entire academic disciplines by transgender activists and the dangerous delusions of gender ideology overall. But there's something else in this movement too. Something uglier and more sinister. And that's cruelty. Any of you who will participate in the online debate on this will have seen this cruelty. You'll see it in the comments. I once posted a short video clip that went viral and got tens of millions of views uh, on Twitter of a young girl fighting back tears after her school board voted to allow boys in her bathroom. And she was struggling to keep back her tears as she described the fact that she very frequently has to change and she didn't want boys to see her naked. 
And all the comments below this video that I tweeted from trans activists made fun of her. They mocked her tears. They reveled in the cruelty. It is cruel to lock women behind bars with violent rapists. It's cruel to force teenage girls to change in front of young men in their locker rooms. It's cruel to force traumatized rape victims to sleep in dorms with men. And it's cruel to demand that women accept their own demotion and dehumanization, reduced to crude terminology to avoid offending the cross-dressers in charge. You can put a man in a dress, and he's still a man. And you can dress up cruelty in a cloak of compassion, as the trans activists do, but it is still cruelty, and we should say so clearly. Because many women and many girls are waiting for us to speak up and to say so. And we should do so until people are forced to hear us, until they recognize that the emperor has no clothes, and we can all see that he's a dude. Thank you for listening to this week's show. If you'd like to listen to past shows or subscribe to future shows, please head over to lightsightnews.com, click on the podcast tab, you'll find us there, and you can download our show wherever you get your content. Thanks so much for joining us this week, and we hope you'll join us again next week.